0: All right. Well, we're excited to be here today. A little bigger crowd than last one. Um, so let's start with prayer. I just love starting with the Lord. Um, if you guys bow your head. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity to be here with EMB. And God, we just pray that you open our hearts and, and just let us hear, God, what you would have to say to us, God, and pray that you just help us to swallow any pride that's there, God, and help us just to uh, come to you in humility, come to, a, come to you at the cross, Lord, and just be ready to give it all. And uh, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the worship music. Thank you for all the wonderful things that the church is doing. And we pray that you be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know every time, uh, we get to see that video and uh, the staff that's here we, we've seen that video several times over the last couple of years, and it's crazy when you look at that and you kind of dissect it and I've got to watch it so many different times and I, I get to pick things out of it every time. but kind of what always stands out to me is when you see the people's faces in that video and and, and these aren't pictures and videos of people that are on the other side of the world in Africa or, or Haiti or different areas. These, these are local people. People that are right here in the community. Right here. And and you look at it and you see that there's just, there's just no hope. They're struggling with something. This joy has been sucked from them. Depression is knocking on their door. And and you you hear Larry talk about that there's just something inside that that is broke, that's not right. And, you know, we get the pleasure of of being able to be around people like that all the time in the ministry, and, and I get the joy of getting to see God intervene in someone's life when it seems like there's nowhere else to turn, and God will step in and miraculously do something to help restore that joy and that hope. And it's one of the biggest blessings of working with Forgotten Ministries and with our team, and and, but today, Dwight asked me to come and, and speak about local missions, and I, I want to start off with saying something about global missions, because I think global missions is an essential part of the church if the church wants to be living out the calling of Christ. It's biblical. And, and, and I want to emphasize the fact that missionaries that are on the other side of the earth, that they are going through things that we probably can't even fathom suffering persecution hiding underground churches it's real for them but we're speaking today to the local church and i think sometimes when we're speaking in america at churches that that the that the global mission trip is sometimes an easier sell now, let, me, let me explain that because, you know, I, I've been on mission trips. I've been to France. I've been to Mexico. And, and, you know, when we went to France, it was great because we got to plan this trip where we weren't, were, weren't really going to offend anyone. We were going to kind of do some outreaches that kind of kept us safe. And then, we, of course, we had to set up a couple days of tourist trips of Eiffel Tower and Belgium and we got to see all these wonderful things that were in the country. And we got to come home. And I remember when we went to Mexico last Christmas, um, a group of us did, and we got down there and we were across the border for a couple days and we went into this area that was just, I mean, it it was hard to even explain how horrible it was. I mean, people living in shanties that had no real structure or walls or roofs and no water, no electricity, using half kind of porta potties that had no outhouse around it. And, and it was in a dump. I mean, it was in a landfill. And it was like, man, that should like wreck your world. And it did for a couple days. But see, I got the, the luxury of coming back home. I didn't have to stay there. I didn't have to really deal with it. I got to go in and help do some feeding and we left. And I got to come back to air conditioning and heating and a nice bed and House, so many of the things that we take for granted that we have as Americans. We're just blessed. And I started to think about that because I see this a lot. We have a lot of mission teams that come to Enid to do mission projects. And, and, you know, I, I just, it's so difficult to get the local church involved sometimes. But if the church is coming from Kansas or if they're coming from Hennessy or if they're coming from out of town, you know, they're excited to come. They're kind of excited to serve, and they get all excited about everything that's going on, and then they go back to their own town. And and so as, as I started to think about this and try to put all the pieces together, I've been going through something recently, and it's with the rezoning that we're doing with the city councilman at an area that's out by our ministry center, we're rezoning for some women's housing. And uh, it's going to allow us to have some extra women in there and be able to have a house mom on site that's going to be able to kind of run the program and take care of things. Uh, And we've been getting some kickback from some of the neighborhood. About three or four people have really been against it. And so we've been to the city council meetings and MAPC meetings, and we've been talking about it. And the the beautiful thing about these meetings is everyone gets to get up there and give their opinion. And they kind of say whatever they want to say. And the thing that just blo- this is what blows my mind, is that the people that are against it, they get up there, and they say, well, we just don't want those people. And they emphasize that, those people. We don't want those people in my backyard. And, and so that's frustrating for me, first off. But then what they say next really gets me going. They say, well, but it's a good thing, and we're a Christian, but we're Christian. So we don't want those people in our backyard, but yet we're a Christian. First off, your backyard is not your backyard, it's God's backyard. Everything you have is because God has given it to you, it's His. And and I started to think about that, and I, you know, you try to understand, you try to put yourself in the other shoes, and I can totally jump into the other shoes if they just leave out I'm a Christian part, because that's where it gets me. And so, but the question is, is if I was to come to the west side and the north side, east, south side, and I was to come into your backyard, and I wanted to bring guys getting out of prison, women getting out of prison. Hey, maybe we could open up a prison or a mentally handicapped facility. What about a sex offender facility? Do we want them in our backyard? Cuz most of us would probably be out there saying the same thing. Cuz we think about my safety, my comfort, my neighborhood. And and this is where I think that we're getting off because that's self-righteousness. When we think that we're more righteous or we're better off than those people, then we ain't any different than the Pharisees. Jesus died because he loved each and every one of us not this group of people or this color of people or this ethnic group. When we recognize what we've done in the glory of God and how we've set ourselves up against him, that we all need his grace and his mercy. And, and when, so when trying to process all of this and, and put all these pieces together, you know, I wonder, does Jesus speak about the local missions field? Does he speak about local ministry? And I think he does. I think he does here in Luke 4. I think he um, addresses several different issues. But I'm going to go into a few because I'm going to talk about, because he confronts the church or the uh, the, um, the Pharisees, the religious establishment that was back in those days. He, ad- he addresses them pretty intense. And so I'm going to go in Luke 4, and we're going to read a little bit here in 16. And he starts off and he says, He went into Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So this is the place where he grew up. Local boy, local town, local church down the street. I mean, he grew up in this area. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. As was his custom, he stood up and read. So he was getting up and reading the scriptures. He was accustomed to doing it. This is part of what he was doing, okay? And so... And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today the scriptures fulfilled in your hearing. i got to be honest, I would have loved to have been there right now. I mean, I'd love to have been sitting down inside there watching Jesus read these things and kind of the buildup that was going on. I, I just think it would have been awesome. But I think Jesus is, is really, he's laying out the ministry that he's about the, to, to walk in the next three years, and he's, and he's kind of exposing his heart, his desire for what he's come to do. And so I, I had to ask myself when I read this scripture a few different questions, and one of them was, who is the poor? And I think as Jesus is talking about the poor, as you go through the Old Testament, New Testament, he's always talking about things in the physical realm, and he's always talking about things in the spiritual realm. And, and so I think I brought up some verses that I think describe both of those Um, with these different areas. And so who is the poor? Uh, Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. James 2 says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those he loved him? The physical. Who is the prisoner? That's my next question. Romans 6 says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness, spiritual. Hebrews 13 talks about the guy that's in prison. Continue to remember those in prisons as if you were there together with them. And those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. Who is the blind? Jesus says he came to recover sight for the blind. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of the God. John 9 says, For judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And obviously we see Jesus doing physical healings throughout the entire New Testament. And the last one is, who is the oppressed? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed and a stronghold in times of struggle. And I think as you see these verses, I mean, you get to see God's heart towards people. Whether it's people that are... Spiritually in bondage, or whether it's people physically in bondage. And he came to set them free. And Jesus said that those I set free will be free indeed. And I don't think anyone out here would disagree that what Jesus is talking about is a good thing. Right? I mean, these are good things to help the poor and people in prison and, and to help the blind and to help set the free, the the press free. But I think it's interesting because if you read the next verse at 22, it says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they ask? So he reads these things and everyone are in agreement. That's a great, that's good. That's good. I'm going to skip a little area. I'm going to go down to 28. Because there's something he says between verse 23 and 27 that changes everything. And it says, all the people in the synagogue were furious at him when they heard this. They got up, drove him to the outside of the town, took him to the brow of the hill, and on which the town was bet, and ordered him to be thrown off the cliff. Okay, so how does this guy stand up? Everyone knows him. He's preaching in the synagogues. He's reading scripture. He gets up, reads these verses. Everyone's for him. This guy's good. And then a few minutes later, everyone's ready to kill him. I mean, that's a dramatic change from one thing to the next. And so I started thinking about a lot and what Jesus says in this area between these two areas and i had a um a buddy a few years back that was a, he's a global missionary and he lives overseas and he he he's i love listening to him because he has an outside perspective he doesn't live in america anymore he's not wrapped up in the american culture like we do get wrapped up in he he's kind of an outside guy that comes in and he comes in he, he's pretty offensive i'll be honest and he kind of just says it the way it is. And sometimes I just kind of turn my cheek. Sometimes I'm like, man, maybe there's some truth behind it. But he said, he said, I was talking about some of the struggles we were having and things we were going through in the ministry. He says, you know what your biggest problem is? I said, what do you, what, do you, what, do you, what? what are you talking about? He says, well, he says, the problem is the American church is fat and lazy. And I said, well, that's a little b- blunt, you know, basically. He said, that's the problem. And a few months later I heard a sermon by a guy, a global missionary, came into America, preached at a youth pastor, youth, youth conference, and he made the statement that eighty to ninety percent of the American church is going to hell. And I was like, "Ten, no way. And it I got a little upset. I mean, this guy's saying they're fat and lazy, and this guy's saying American church is going to hell. 80, 90 percent. It's like that can't be true. And then I started to think about, you know, what if John, disciple John, was one of Jesus' beloveds, walked with Jesus for three years, got put on the island, Patmos, after severe suffering. What if he was to walk into the church today? What if he was to walk into this church today? And imagine if he stood up and he said, you know what? I'm going to read to you what I read to the churches once. And he wrote letters to the churches in Revelations. And I want to sum up what he said about them. He says, you guys have lost your first love. He says, you've fallen away. He says, you're following false teachings. Your church is dead. You're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, think about that. If he were to come in and say that, that's offensive. Jesus said something in Luke 4 that was offensive. Offensive. But when Jesus said something, it was offensive because it was truth. We have something in the ministry, when we read the Bible, whenever we come across something that's really difficult, we say, that's a truth bomb because it just blows up our world. Because it's like I'm living differently than what that Scripture is telling me to do. And the truth hurts. And, And Paul experiences this in Galatians In Galatians 4, he says, Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? And Jesus goes through this throughout all of his teachings. And here's one example in John 8. He's reading this, or he's talking to the, the crowd and the Pharisees are there, and he says, why is my language, John 8, not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear me, to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling you the truth, why won't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what I say. The reason you do not hear what I say is because you do not belong to God. Truth mom. I mean, imagine this. If you were in the crowd with these people that grew up worshiping God, sacrificing to God, giving to God, and this guy steps on the scene and says, no, Satan's your dad, and you don't believe in me, and you don't have the love of God in your heart. That would probably upset a lot of people. You wonder why they drove Jesus out to the edge of town wanting to kill him. So when someone says the church is lazy, is it true? Are we, do we look more like the churches in Revelations, or do we look like the church in Acts? And I remember growing up, one of the things that, a lot of things, but one thing in particular, um, I remember when we used to doctor the cows and... Of course, we had this rinkety-dink system. It wasn't nothing professional, so they were all over the place. But we used to give them pills. And, they, you know, the pills for a cow, is, I mean, it's massive, right? And I just remember thinking, God, you would really want to have to get well to swallow something that big. And I think that's the way truth works. You have to really want to change in order to accept truth into your heart. Because it's easier to live for yourself. It's hard to live for Christ. There's a guy by the name of Tim Keller. He said something that has challenged our group when a book we've been reading recently. And he, I think a lot of it's what drives the American church to do local missions. And it says that the heart of a human is hardwired for works righteousness. The heart of a human is hardwired for works righteousness. So a lot of what compels the church to to do missions locally is this works mentality. Well, I need to work. I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. I know I'm supposed to pray. I know I'm supposed to come to church. I know I should serve the poor. And so we do these things half-heartedly or when we do a missions project once a year or maybe twice a year, kind of just straddle the fence. I just want to do enough to keep me in good standing but I want to do too little because I'll feel guilty. Jesus said, there is no way you're going to accept my teaching. You cannot put new wine, Jesus' teaching, into old wineskins. It doesn't work. Can't do it. You can't Put the teachings of Christ into your old lifestyle. When we recognize what Jesus came to do and the reason he came to do it, he came to a people. When the Bible speaks of it in Romans, it says that there is no one righteous, not even one, no one that seeks God. They've all turned away from him. Every single one of them have traded the glory of God for these false idols that we've worshiped, we've served, that we live for ourself, that we're selfish beings. But Christ came regardless of that. And he came down because he loved us. And it says, in, in Philippians, he says that he left his perfect heavenly dwelling where millions of angels were worshiping him day and night, and he had endless amounts of gold. and He had it all, and he left it to become a servant, to serve the creation that rebelled against him. He did that because of love. And we allow the gospel to take root in our heart, and we start to understand these truths of what Jesus really did, and like Levi, the tax collector, when Jesus says to follow me, he leaves everything and gets up and follows Jesus. He leaves everything because none of that is worth anything. Paul says, for the sake of everything, I consider it rubbish or dung for the sake of Christ. Everything in my life is nothing compared to him. And we get to taste the sweetness of God's grace, God's mercy and forgiveness and love. And we know that we don't have to work for God's favor, but that it is given to us freely. That that grace is given to us because of love. That's what creates in us a new heart. The Bible says the old person dies and there's this new creation. We become born again. And the Spirit God dwells within us that cries out, Abba, Father. And as we start this new journey and we start to live for God, we get to start looking at people differently. Jesus warned people don't follow me. Don't follow me. Actually, 70 of his disciples left. He didn't chase one of them down. And chase one of them down. He said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and then you'll be my disciple. Picking up that cross is hard because we start to share in the sufferings of God. And when we share in the sufferings of God... <clears throat> It's long hours, it's long days. And you start to look at people the way Christ looks at them. And they're no longer those people. No longer prostitutes, pimps, drug dealers, addicts, drunks, bums that need to get a job. They're the people that Jesus died for. And when God gives us that heart, and he brings a group of people together that love Christ like that, man, church, it's fun. Because there is nothing impossible when a body of believers come together with the goal to reach those that Jesus died for. And guys like Larry and these people that we keep on fighting for, when they continue to see people love sacrificially, when they're not getting anything out of it, it'll melt their heart. It'll melt them heart because they'll see something real. They'll see people playing church and dressing up. They see people willing to lay their life down for someone they don't know. And that's what Jesus lived his whole life. Every day we see that model. And he challenges us to do the same thing. So... It's not easy, and it's hard, but that's why we have each other. Where the local church is, I don't know. I see a lot of good things. I see a lot of things that churches struggle with, but I do know that only 17% of Garfield County goes to church, and that's a problem, church. When there's 160 churches in Enid and only 17% of this county's in it, that's a problem we maybe need to step up our game a little bit because we need to be aggressive and we need to fight this battle the way the enemy's fighting it. And he ain't taking no naps. He is viciously pursuing people and destroying marriages and kids' lives. And we're the only thing that has the good news. It's what God gave us, the commission, to go out and do it. And so the Bible tells us that we have to all evaluate ourselves, to test ourselves, to see where we're at in the faith. And if we are these churches that are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, dead, John gives us a way out. He says, repent. If we have not been doing what we're supposed to do, if we're a little lukewarm and straddled on the fence, then let's repent and let's get busy. Let's go out and love people, not because we have to, because we understand the grace that God's given us, and we want others to experience that grace too. And when the churches step up and they start living out the calling that God has put in their life, man, I know we talk about all the time this world's falling apart. I guarantee they said that when Acts took place too. When Peter preached his first message, it was a dark world. The Son of God had just been nailed on a cross, but 5,000 people came to salvation because of 12 guys that were ready to lay down their life. We've got more than 12 now, and we need to do something about it. And so tonight's a kind of a neat opportunity. We get to talk again, um, but uh, we get to kind of share more about the ministry. And uh, one thing that's been a blessing for uh, me and especially our team is getting to work with EMB over the last few years. And, uh, and and the work that's been done. And if we had more time, and we'll talk about that more tonight, with some stories of people that uh, we've been able to minister to. And one in particular, one that stood out to me, was uh, this last winter when it was really cold. Um, EMB was actually out serving this night, and we had—and uh, it was cold. We really, really wasn't going to do it. It was so cold. But we opened up the closed truck because we had a bunch of coats donated. And I remember a couple kids about this tall, probably 8, 9, 10, somewhere in that area, came out there and— and they were freezing. They were in a T-shirt, and we were able to get them a coat. And we got to talk to them, and I asked them, where, where are you guys from? Where, where's your mom at? You know, she I didn't see a mom, and her, their mom wasn't there. And they said they walked a mile and a half down to the park by themselves to get a coat. You know you need a coat if you walk a mile and a half to go get one. And and, and just so just even being able to be out there that night to give them something to help those kids not freeze to death, is something you guys have been a part of. And so we get to talk about that a little bit more tonight at Mission, so hopefully more of you guys can come back tonight. But I want to close in prayer, but I want to encourage you that even though the messages can be hard, because this is convicting for me. When I read it, I'm convicted. I don't try to find the hardest passages in the Bible and say, wow, let's just bring a hard message to a church. Now, I got punched in the face several times in my office and I know that God gives us the strength to do things that we're unable to do. That's when miraculous things happen. And I think the church needs to step back into that again. Because um, when we step out in faith, man, it is awesome to watch God work. And, uh, and so I just it's one of my greatest joys ever to be able to just kind of follow him around and say, Daddy, what are we doing next? Because he blows my mind constantly. And, and I want everyone to be able to see and experience those things. And, uh, and so if you guys would bow your head. Lord, thank you so much for today, and thank you for um, EMB. Thank you for the people that are here. And God, we know your word says it never comes back void. So I have no doubt in my mind that your message is speaking to someone out there today, God. I know it is. I pray that we grab a hold of that, Lord. I pray that it lands on the good soil, that you allow it to take root and grow and produce 30, 60, 80, 100 times more, God. I pray that we would just have this passion and this burning desire in our heart that would just flare up, and that, God, we would just run rampant, God, through the streets proclaiming the good news, God, everyone we know and see, that we would tell them what Jesus has done. And the, guy, when we get to your glory, when we get to sit at your banquet table, God, we can rejoice with all those people, God, that we were able, God, to share what you had done in their life and ours. I pray for boldness. I pray that we would be fearless, Lord. I pray, God, that we would have a love that only you can give us, because your word says that perfect love cast out all fear, God. Don't let Satan get in front of us, Lord, and try to scare us of the things we can't do, we're incapable of do, we're too old to do. Let us remember your love, God, and use that as our weapon as we fight against the principalities, God, and we drive back his forces, Lord, as we rescue those, Lord, that have been taken captive.